Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All the things that I ranted about in the last episode, the things that we're doing that aren't working, those are all real. Those are all true. Those are all happening. I just feel like there's also a balance that there's some momentum moving in the right direction. Both of these things are happening simultaneously. We're both doing the disorder, we're both pathologizing, we're both not giving kids room to feel what they need to feel, and at the same time, there's all this other great work that's going on that's saying, hey, wait a second, let's look at these really powerful things that we can change in kids' lives and in families' lives. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. So, Lynn, last week you had a little bit of a rant, you know, as you were saying. I wouldn't call it a rant because you're actually a very cheery, optimistic person. (laughs) But I know you got on a roll. I did get on a roll. But I think that today we should talk about progress Mm -hmm. because good things are still happening too. Yeah. Here's what I want to know. In 2013, you and Reed Wilson published the book, Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents. Mm -hmm. I recall that that work was considered kind of a big deal and a little bit of a paradigm shift at the time. Tell me now, now that I know this material so much better as a mom myself, tell me why people said that. What was it like at that point? If you write a book, one of the things you have to do in order to get a publisher to buy it is that you have to write a proposal And you have to talk about why your book is different because there's a lot of books on anxious kids. And so one of the things we said in the proposal was that people aren't paying enough attention or they're not talking directly to parents about what they do that is contributing to the family's anxiety. You know, there's a lot of books like how to free your child or how to help your child with their anxiety. There was one book that even said there's really nothing that you're doing that's making your child anxious. And Reed and I really went at that pretty directly. And in fact, even coming up with the title of the book, which was called Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, you know, but that was a little bit controversial, or I should say that was a little bit different. And even the publisher, as we're putting it together, because you don't have complete say over what the title of your book is, by the way, they were like, oh, should we put parents in the title? Like, do we really want to say that? They really were wanting to say, can't we just say that having an anxious kid makes you anxious? And we were saying, no, what we're saying is having an anxious parent makes you anxious. And that was a different way of looking at it. That's why people sort of took notice of the book when it came out, because it it took a different perspective. It started saying to parents, not in a blaming way, of course, I always say it's not about blame, it's about responsibility. So that's one of the reasons. And there's been there's been movement in that direction since. There's been a lot of work and a lot of talk about how do we help parents interrupt their patterns. That was not really happening in 2013. 
when I think about what we've talked about on the podcast for the last year and a half, there's this needling voice inside my head always of there is a mainstream parenting culture that is contributing to this. Mm -hmm. And how do we sort of wake up from this culture? Mm -hmm. But I think it's going to take a lot more conversations and a lot more time. But even as we wait for a sort of mainstream parenting culture to quit idealizing, tracking, and knowing everything about your child and trying to do everything for them, progress is really happening. So what are you seeing? You know, I'm in a lot of schools, of course. And like you say, last episode, I was sort of on a rant about the things that schools are doing inadvertently, right? The things that I sort of go, oh, gosh, come on, you're you're making it worse. I think it really actually is necessary. And I think it would be really great if I could just talk about some of the things that schools are doing. I get emails all the time. I get stories from teachers. I have worked with some school districts and with some organizations that have really done some cool stuff. Maybe I should share some of that stuff too, instead of saying, look, you guys, stop doing the disorder. I really think it's important to also say, we're really looking at how as a system, right, either a family system or a school system, How are we interrupting these patterns? So I can give you some examples. Please, because uh, we have a lot of listeners who are teachers and school counselors. I think when people know what what a good goal to work towards is, they'll do it. I'll give you one example because it actually, it's fresh in my mind because I was just talking to these kids. I was at a school, grades six through 12, and I met with this group of high school students. They're grades 10, 11, and 12. And they have this organization at their school. You have to apply to get in. You are a student leader. And they are focusing this year on connection. One of the things they said is that they really want to give information about mental health. They want to talk about how do we recognize depression and anxiety and what are the things we need to pay attention to for our own self-care. But after the year they had last year, they are working very hard to make sure that kids are having fun, that they're feeling connected, that they're feeling inclusive. So there are these group of students that are putting on all of these events at their school that are designed to make sure that kids know how to reach out, that they're available, that they talk to each other, and that they have connection and have fun. It was really just, it was just this really heartwarming conversation that I had with this group of young people. So that's something that I think really needs to be identified. I can tend to get a little tough on young people identifying with mental health. And I talk about mental health awareness and I go, oh God, okay, we're aware. Stop talking about it all the time. These kids are actually doing something concrete and active to make sure that kids don't slip through the cracks, to make sure their peers don't slip through the cracks. And I thought that was really, really cool. And more schools should do that. Did they share with you more of the the process that they use? And it was funny. What was interesting was that there was some debate within their group about whether or not they should really focus on talking about mental health specifically. And they asked me this question, should we talk about mental health specifically? Should we give information about anxiety and depression? And they really wanted to know if it was okay if they just focused on connection and having fun this year. And I said, absolutely. Yeah. If a school community is focusing more on connection and strategies to promote connection. And so, and the other thing too, is that I've been talking to schools and this is something that I talked about at the end of last year and at the beginning of the school year, that thing where I was talking about with families too, of brighten someone else's day day. And I'm hearing from schools that they're doing that, they're implementing that. 
They're saying, you know, Wednesday is brighten someone else's day day. And they're making it a big deal and they're talking about it. So I think this idea of stepping in and, you know, we, we can talk a lot about what's wrong. And there's a lot that's wrong, of course. But schools that are very simply and very concretely and very consistently saying, we are going to foster connection and we are going to foster a sense of belonging. I'm hearing that more and more happening. And school counselors, classroom teachers, this student-run organization, they're really grabbing onto this idea that we need to do active things that bring people together. So I'm hearing that a lot, probably more than ever before. I'm hearing that this fall, which is fabulous. I'm so happy about that. What I love about the Brighten Someone Else's Day programs is that you've mentioned other examples in your talks, but to stop an internalizing cycle of an anxious or depressed Mm -hmm. teen to then be doing something in an external way, trying to make someone else's day, you're teaching them those patterns and that and they're learning at at the right age. Mm -hmm that stepping in and doing stuff for other people is a great way to change the brain up and get out of that anxious or depressive cycle that's so internalizing. Right. And I think that what feels different about this this year than it has perhaps in the past is that I jokingly say, like, if I hear one more 10th grader started a nonprofit, right? So that sounds like, oh, I'm doing something to help the world. And I, I skeptically think like you're doing something to look good on your college application. This doesn't feel that way to me. This feels like genuinely they are saying, we need to feel more connected. We need to make sure that we are coming together. The things that they're doing are very simple and they're daily things rather than having these big projects or rather than starting a nonprofit. Schools and kids in schools, and I'm hearing it in high schools a lot, they're really saying, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, we need to make sure that we are connecting. And you're exactly right. It's getting out of your head and being externally connected. And I'm hearing that and I love to hear that. That's prevention. That's absolutely prevention. Maybe that's another question to add to your around the dinner table conversation of who did you connect with today? Did you offer anyone connection today that looked like they might need it? That's a great question to ask. Yeah. How did you connect with someone? I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. 
It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Yeah. And the other thing that's cool about this school doing this is that these are the older kids and they're modeling this for all the younger kids. And it sounds like in this school that this becomes something that the kids want to aspire to, that I want to be a part of this group or I want to be a person who does this. So it's really great modeling. So not only are these older kids offering connection, but they're modeling it for the younger kids. There's something else. There's just a few other things that a few teachers have told me about. One teacher sent me an email and we, I was doing a training at their school. And the whole thing about anxiety is that we want to move away from accommodation and we want to have kids step in, right? The idea that we're moving toward things rather than away from things. And she decided that the theme of her classroom was going to be step in. And she has a bulletin board. I think she made like footprints so that every time a a student steps into something, every time she sees a, a student moving towards uncertainty or stepping into a challenge, she puts up a footprint. And the th- so the theme of her classroom, she said, is going to be, this is the year of stepping in, which is just so awesome, right? It's sort of like the, the anxious version of, this is the year of living dangerously. The, yeah. So, but this is the year of stepping in. I had another teacher, and I talk about this a lot in my training, so I'm glad that that they're doing it, is that she created a wall of flexibility. So I talk about picking a piece of wall and, and making a bulletin board and when kids do things flexibly, but she created a wall of flexibility in her classroom with like bricks and, you know, I mean, just like so creative so that the kids could see it and do it and really just embracing this idea that we're going to step into things, that we're going to be flexible, really taking the stuff that I'm talking 
thinking about and concretely in their wonderfully creative way, bringing it to life. And I'm hearing more and more of that from teachers. So teachers, if you're doing this stuff, if you're doing this, if you're taking the things that I'm talking to you about and putting it to practice in some wonderful way in your classroom, please let me know. I mean, I just love getting these emails. I love getting these emails. The other thing too that I want to say is that parents, if you are finding creative ways to do this, I'd love to hear from you too. I just got the most amazing email from a mom and she said that what they've been doing is putting feelings, feelings words, emotion words, because I talk so much about emotional literacy in a jar. And then at night they pick one of the words out and then they have to talk about when did they have that feeling today? It's sort of like a, a sort of wonderful twist on my, what was the unexpected thing that happened to you today and how did you handle it? She would pick out a feeling. So it might say disappointment or it might say sadness or it might say frustration. And she said that her little girl at first didn't even know what the words meant. And then recently she was able to pick out a word. Her little five-year-old was able to pick out a word. And I think the word was nervous. And then she was able to put into words, I felt nervous when I did this thing and my tummy felt a little nervous because I didn't know what was going to happen. I just love that, this idea that we can come up with these ways and these creative ways to take this information and to keep sharing it with kids. The other thing she said that was so awesome too was that her husband was doing it at the table and that her husband, their dad, maybe tended to be a little quiet or wasn't really as expressive with his emotions. And he was modeling this for his kids and they were hearing their dad talk about feelings and they were talking about feelings. Not just saying, oh, I feel this way, but this is why I felt this way. This is what happened. And then how did I manage it? All of that stuff is just so, so great. So that was a wonderful email I got from that mom. So take that idea, everybody. Put a whole bunch of feelings words in a jar and then pull them out at the dinner table and really just keep these conversations going. Oh, I love that. Isn't that so great? I read that email and I was like, like it made me a little verklempt. You know, I just thought, oh my gosh, isn't this so wonderful? You know, I love school nurses and I love to give them props. I love working with school nurses, but I am hearing from school nurses that they are really paying attention to when kids come in that they know are anxious. One of the things that I talk about a lot with school nurses is that I want kids to have the language when they walk into the school nurse's office because they have a tummy ache or they have a headache that they're saying, my tummy hurts because I'm feeling worried about this. Or I have a tummy ache and I think it might be my worry. And school nurses are letting me know that they are making that part of the vocabulary, part of the teaching that they're doing with these anxious kids that are showing up in their office. Because a lot of times school nurses will treat the tummy ache, they'll take the temperature, they'll, you know, give them some crackers or give them a drink of water. The school nurses know that these kids are worried. They know that these kids are struggling with anxiety, but they weren't talking directly about it. And now I'm hearing from school nurses more and more that they're saying that they're helping these kids make that connection between their physical symptoms and what's going on emotionally. So I'm hearing more of that. And that I love to hear about. So school nurses, if you are doing that and you are having success with that, if you're pulling out the worry part and giving it a name, if you've got this little first grader or even this sophomore in high school that's coming to your office and saying, you know, Joe, my worry part is really giving me a tough time. Can I talk about that with you? I want to hear about that too. And I am hearing about that. And it just is so fantastic 
I just love it. See, see, I was on a rant. The last time I was on a rant about all the things that frustrating me. And now I'm on a rant about all the things that just make me so excited when I get these emails or when I talk to people at trainings. Yeah. Oh, I have another one. I have another one. (laughs) Go for it. Okay. I have another one. Several schools have told me that they have taken my advice and they, they are sending out letters to parents, to all of their parents in the school saying, we know that this has been a really rough year. We know that there's a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety amongst ourselves and amongst our kids. This is how we're going to start talking about anxiety in our school. And I have a letter that I have shared with many people with his permission that a wonderful head of school sent out a few years ago. I've been sharing that with schools and they are taking it and they are making it their own. And I am also hearing from classroom teachers that are writing these letters to parents, sending out an email to parents, talking about how we are working on managing worry in our classroom how we are talking about achievement, how we are dealing with perfectionism, and how are we giving kids the vocabulary and letting them explore the idea that life is not a tightrope. This is the analogy I use all the time. Life is not walking on a tightrope. Life is walking across a bridge with lots of room and lots of space. And teachers are telling me that they're really concretely giving this information to parents in a way that's changing the environment in their classrooms. Oh, I love that. It's just fabulous. One of the groups I loved learning about doing the podcast with you is Challenge Success. Mm -hmm. And since I have a high school student and my child will be going through the college application process too, I just love their way of shaking up what success is in school. Mm -hmm. So Denise Pope is a a person that I know. I've done work with them, their organization, Madeline Levine also. These two women, and there are many people who work in their organization, they're out in California. They're a project of the Stanford's graduate program in education. That's right. And they were really looking at this achievement culture. They were really looking at what they were seeing in kids that are in these high achieving environments. One of the things that happened recently is that being in a high achieving environment, a high achieving culture was determined to be a risk factor for anxiety and depression. So they, for years, they've really been going after this in a way that has been groundbreaking of saying, how are we looking at what we're doing to kids? And is this really how we need to educate kids that it's about resume building and not getting enough sleep and taking as many hard courses as you can? They've really given parents in these environments a a lot of information, a lot of research, and a lot of resources to say, we can't keep doing this. I love Challenge Success, and I hope I continue to be able to collaborate with them. So check out their stuff too. Really fabulous stuff. Are there any other types of organizations at universities I'm not aware of? Yeah, so, so the other thing that I think is getting a lot more acceptance or a lot more airplay is really like we were talking about at the beginning when we wrote the book, Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, really looking at the research of how we want to include parents in this directly. So there's a woman named Golda Ginsburg. She started doing research way back in 2009. She published a study in another one in 2015 that really looked at what happens when you teach parents how to interrupt their own anxious parenting patterns. And then Ellie Leibowitz recently, so he started doing research probably around, well, he's probably done research at least since 2012, but just really put his SPACE program in place. SPACE is an acronym, which really looks at the accommodation patterns in parents. 
So there's been a lot of stuff that's really been building. We published Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents in 2013. We started writing those books in 2008. So a lot of stuff where it's really coming together, you know, challenge, success, all of these things that are saying we cannot ignore the impact of parents, the impact of adult modeling. We really need to target the family patterns. So really what we're seeing in the anxiety world is, is really sort of this taking of this family systems model, which started in the 70s, but we moved away from that a little bit and really started looking at talking about anxiety and pathologizing it and really focusing on diagnostic language. I think there's been a, a surge again in a lot of people's work to really look at how can we change the patterns of the adults. And I think what I've been really trying to do in the last probably five years, is take that into schools. How do we change the patterns in schools? So it's really sort of a top-down approach that I think is really gathering a lot of good solid research and a lot of good support. And I think parents just really need to hear that over and over and over again. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. And each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. You just said something fascinating to me about the fact that although a family system approach is decades old, there was this period where let's ignore the family system and let's isolate the pathology of anxiety just to the child. What do you think might have been the driver of that? That's a great question. It's interesting when you look at it because the family systems model was really a pushback against psychoanalysis and that we're really going to focus on the individual. and. You know, I'm a social worker. Social work is a very systems-based model that we're looking at the environment. Why we moved away from that, I'm not sure. I think, I think to be honest, there was a lot of medicalization of what was going on with kids. The field started really looking at all these different disorders and giving them names. 
It's been an interesting thing for me to watch in the 30 years I've been in this field of how we moved away from the idea that family and culture and social connection are really so much a part of of what goes on with kids. The interesting thing that happened also is there was trauma started being talked about in a different way. And so for people who are new to the field, they're sort of like, oh, we're going to talk about trauma. The people who've been doing this for decades, that family systems model was really looking at the impact of the family and the impact of trauma and the impact of that on children and moving away from that. And then this you'll hear about in schools is called trauma-informed care. And it's sort of like they reinvented this model of saying like, yeah, no, actually when you traumatize children, it has a big impact on their mental health. (laughs) And we talked about those ACE scores. But I think it was the medicalization of it. I think it was the pathologizing, the diagnostic language. I definitely think the use of of medication had an impact on that. We're moving back. It's sort of what's old is new again, but really focusing on changing that question of what's wrong with you to what happened to you. I think that's a real systems model. That makes perfect sense now. Because of my age, I remember Prozac Nation coming out Mm -hmm. when like that was the early 90s. Yeah, so Prozac came out, so so just as I was starting working in inpatient psychiatric care. Yeah, I I think Prozac came out when I was in high school. It was released in 1988. Yeah, so I was in high school then. Yeah. That was when antidepressants became a common Mm -hmm. thing that people talked about. I don't, and I was too young, but I mean, before that wasn't like the more pop culture use of uh, medications for mental health, like the Valium period of for housewives. Yeah, mother's little helpers. Yeah, what what happened when Prozac came out in 1988? It was a different kind of medication, and it didn't have a side effect profile like the previous medications. And so Prozac became mainstream mm-hmm. in 1990. Is when I was working in inpatient psychiatry. And boy, the drug reps were showing up on a daily basis with bagels and chocolate chip cookies, and they were whining and dining. So the industry changed and the marketing of of medications. The other thing that changed, which is pretty significant, is that you weren't able in the past to advertise any kind of prescription medication on TV. That changed. So currently, New Zealand and the United States are the only countries in the world that allow that to happen. It sort of mainstreamed this medicalized model. And I think that changed things a lot. And it became much more that there's something wrong with your brain. There's something wrong with your chemicals. And we have this pill that you can take to fix it. And that really moved things away from this systems approach that honestly, I was trained in. And that was a huge part of my social work education, a huge part of all of the training that I got, went into inpatient psychiatry at the very time that things got really medicalized. I think we're moving. I know we are. This is good news. I know we're moving back to the idea that, (laughs) I know it sounds crazy, but we really got away from it, that environment matters, that culture matters. You know, I wrote that article a few years ago, can we blame the culture? And culture is our family system. Culture is our school system. Culture is our social media system. And I think what makes me feel good in all the things that I get irritated about, what makes me feel good is that all of these things we're talking about, challenge success, the space program, 
talking about the ACEs versus the positive childhood experiences that we talked about a few episodes ago, unpacking your family's emotional baggage, all of that is really looking at how do we look at this from a systems perspective? How do we do things in schools, in families that teach kids the skills they need rather than pathologizing? It really is a systems model and it's a prevention model. And that's what gets me jazzed. And that's what probably allows me to keep doing this work because I keep seeing how well that works. I keep seeing how important it is. And even as we're talking about this, you know, you're asking these questions, Robin, which really help me recognize how many people are really embracing this really important message. Well, it's actually also giving me more enthusiasm for even Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry's collaboration is an emphasis on what happened to you. That's right. They're probably the most powerful influencers in the mental health space that are not professionals. Mm -hmm. This is a really wonderful momentum that is happening. Right. I feel like sometimes in it, sort of these two episodes sort of stand together as kind of the momentum that pushes me in the wrong direction and then the momentum that's pushing us in the right direction. And I do honestly feel like they're both happening at the same time. So it's really a sort of paradoxical. It's also the power of the quality of the information you get. Yeah, for sure. Aren't we learning that every single day? Day, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yay, that was positive. That was, the, you're allowed to have positive rants too. Yeah, good. Yeah, and I am, I really am like a pretty optimistic, positive person. It actually takes me a lot of work for, okay, I can tell you have something to say. Go yeah. ahead, do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so good. So now I feel better. So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.